0: Hi, uh, just before this episode starts, I just want to apologize for the sound quality of this. We had a bit of an issue with the mics, and there was, not many, there was nobody, no staff on hand to help us out with it. So I still hope you enjoy this podcast episode with the, my, my discussion with the Conservative Party Society president. So I hope you enjoy. Sorry about, the, sorry about the issue. Okay, welcome back to another episode of Hallway Discussions. And following our interview with the Labour Party Society last week, um, we got the president of the Conservative Party. Of of the UEA, <laughs> yep. onto the uh, onto the podcast today. So we'll be talking about some conservative issues in British politics as a whole. So uh, thanks for coming on the podcast for. Not sorry. Think you think you're inviting me. <laughs> yeah, no. I I feel like it was my moral op- moral obligation to bring on the other half because there was some there was some bashing of the Conservatives. Uh,
1: I'm sure there was. I haven't listened to it. <laughs> and this is where you're going to find the truth in the whole story, not whatever propaganda <laughs> you've just had. You
0: know, I'm <laughs> yeah. Forced to listen to. Forced to
1: listen to. So, uh, how
0: about we we start off by um, so introduce yourself. What is uh what, what is your role at the at the society? What's yeah, just or, sure, a bit about you. A bit so, about you.
1: My name's Hassan. I am the so as Nick has said, I'm the president of the UAE Conservatives. I did not come to university. I did not leave school really that interested in politics. Mm-hmm. Um, never really thought I'd come to university and get involved or engaged with politics, obviously it's current affairs, politics, reading or watching news, yeah. I've been interested in throughout, you know, growing up or whilst I was at school, but never did I think I'd come to university and really get actively involved in, mm-hmm. in politics, whether that's at university or locally or nationally, um, but then possibly out of sheer boredom, possibly out of wanting to find new similar like-minded people, mm-hmm. I'd give out the U A Conservatives a go. Wow. And I've uh, stuck by it since.
0: So, so your your interest in politics started at university. had you? Did your parents get ever get involved in politics at home? Or,
1: uh, yeah. Well, my my parents, uh, you know, ha- are interested in politics in the sense that they like to stay up, stay clued up about the world, like to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like, like everyone, in politics affects their lives. Yeah. But they would not. See themselves. I would not see them as political activists. You know, they they, they certainly weren't taking me to protests and mm-hmm. activism's and marches. Yeah. As I was growing up.
0: Mhm. Oh wow. Um. Uh, so what what is a what is a conservative? Because I feel like the past few like what is a conservative to you? Because the past few years, the 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 values and the traditions of the Conservative Party has and the views overall has been changing. So what is a conservative to you? you
1: Well, yeah, I'm not not sure the views are are changing in the sense that it reinforces the fact that the conservative family or the conservative ideology is that of a broad family and a broad church, Mm -hmm. and different people have come in and taken different interpretations of it or chosen to really sort of engage with personality. I suppose, for me, being conservative is really valuing an individual's ability to go see and do and participate in what they want to do but also be able to achieve what they want to do or whatever they want to achieve in life out of their pure merit and ability to achieve and really fulfill their potential mm-hmm. and I suppose that's where it differs from those on the left you know I, I believe you
0: don't want the, you think the people on the left don't want people to succeed individually or no,
1: no, not necessarily but I, I think the sheer difference comes from I believe that we should maximise individuals, especially as young people, maximise our potentials to go out and see whatever we want in the world, or try and maximise our potential to reach for the highest echelons in society or whatever we go into. Mm -hmm. And we can do that purely out of our own merit, not by someone force-feeding or spooning certain thoughts, certain ideas, certain ways of doing things down our throat.
0: Does that also relate to governmental the role of government and the way the government interferes and intervenes in the economy and then in, in uh, society as a whole? Quite
1: possibly. You know, I I never describe myself as massively ideologically right wing mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm not an ideologue. I go I about life in a pragmatic way. Mm-hmm. I think there is certainly there is role for government in yeah. in people's lives. There is you know, government should be there as, you know, a prosperous first World nation, government should be there to step in and help out the most vulnerable in society but also government shouldn't be there to be a hindrance
0: i see um, hmm. what do you think the most what are the most common assumptions because being at uea it's a pretty liberal university how is it being a conservative on com- on campus
1: absolutely um and and we see this an awful lot and you know we, we've just come into the start of the academic term i was on our you know, society freshest first. stall. Mm-hmm. the number of people that you see that are interested in conservatives, or you know, interested in conservatism, the conservatives, right-leaning politically, the number of people come with their university flat or their housemates or their flatmates. Yeah. give a like, sort of nod over to our, our stall, but then not want to engage or would engage on Instagram or email the society or email me. A bit more in private then. Exactly. And that I, th- I think there is sort of a an element or there certainly is a, a, a small but significant minority mm-hmm. of UEA students or students on campus that have uh, views that are right off centre. Mm-hmm. But possibly it's the environment and possibly it's the culture at UEA that some of those views are are not being allowed to sort of prosper and be...
0: Not being allowed? Ooh. Well, not,
1: <laughs> not, not that, you know, you, no, not, know. Like, you know, Censoring each other, but... but they, they,
0: it's a bit they of self-censorship, do... isn't it, a little bit? Yeah,
1: but possibly, but then that, that self-censorship might come out of sort of protectionism towards themselves, not wanting to be seen as an outcast by peers, by mm-hmm. lecturers, by classmates, whatever. Mm.
0: Yeah, because I remember when I, first, um, when I first arrived last year um well, the first people i met can't remember the name, but it was one of the first people who came to one of our flat parties, and she was studying politics as well, and she was like a full-hearted Labour Labour supporter, and it was like if you ever if you supported the Conservatives in any way, you are one of the worst people on the planet, and I was like I, I don't know where I stand, <laughs> like um, I'm not a Conservative. I was I, I vote. I if I were to vote in the 2019 election, for example, I would have voted Boris. There we go. As, as the
1: rest of the country did, or as, exactly. Uh, the rest of the
0: and it was because I just wanted some stability. You know, Boris said he was going to get Brexit done. We can get in, into whether or not he he got he succeeded in that way. Um, but yeah, it was it's a vote for for me at least it was a vote for stability. And the Labour Party at that point in time wasn't really providing. Yeah. any source of stability. It was a bit, more, a bit more radical, I would say. Yeah, well,
1: it was a bit more, <laughs> more radical then, and now it's plain old boring. So, <laughs> yeah. But isn't that what we I want from... From one side to the next.
0: But isn't that what we want... Do we want politics to be so extravagant and, like, uh, headline-catching? Or do we want some stability? A bit boring, but isn't that how good well, government is supposed to be?
1: Well, I, I want politics to be stable and for our democracy to flourish. And it certainly, you know... I would say it certainly has been, Mm -hmm. Um, but do I want our politicians to be dressed in black suits and talk in monotone voices (laughs) and talk jargon so that nobody can understand but them and their peers and we're being ruled by technocrats? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. I think people want inspirational leaders, I think people want motivational leaders and I think people want those that have a vision for the future of the country to be leading us.
0: Is that why people were so attracted to Boris Johnson, you think? No, as well as like, he's, he's known for his big personality, his gaffes are all over YouTube. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, you know, Boris is, you know, a very out there, bombastic personality, uh, and there's no denying that. Mm-hmm. But but maybe that's what people gripped onto, mm-hmm. and they gripped onto that vision he was pr- providing the country, you know, that I am the man to get Brexit done, I will. And you know, whether he has or hasn't succeeded about it, I'm sure we can come on to later. But, the fact that he could convince people that he is not only the personality but he but with that personality could convince them that his politics and his views could then you know be aligned with their own or he could provide them with a vision to back Mm -hmm. and i suppose in the 2019 general election you know that 81 seat majority or whatever it was certainly showed the fact that people wanted a loud outspoken visionary politician
0: Are you... Would you say you're happy? I mean, I know... But to be fair to Boris, he didn't have much time because um, he was elected in December, and then a few months later, the pandemic hit, and it just stifled any sort of immediate action he could yes. take.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you th- I mean, do you think he could have done better, I mean, Boris Johnson?
1: I mean, on reflection, I'm not sure what Boris thinks of his premiership. He <laughs> the way he'd want it to end in. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think Boris will reflect on the fact that he... Probably handled the pandemic incredibly well, and I think. You think? Uh, yeah, and I think if you ask the common person on the high street in every single town and city in the country, a lot of them say, will say Boris and the government at the time handled the pandemic incredibly well. You know. It,
0: Critics would say uh, that he didn't well, that he didn't lock down the country early enough well, and all that.
1: Absolutely, you know there were there 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 are positives and negatives. We need to remember that the pandemic and pandemic 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 management Mm -hmm. was you know took over all of our lives for the last 18 months two years yeah and within that there are so many decisions that boris other members of the cabinet Mm -hmm. the politicians had to make that they all have got things right and some things uh not so right um whether that's issues around ppe but the fact that boris was quick to enact lockdown quick to enact sort of the furlough scheme making sure that people Mm -hmm. were not only staying safe by being you know, not, not interacting with other people, but also maintaining the fact that, you know, people weren't getting hungry, they, they were still having, you know, pay packets given to them and things like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, what is it, Rishi Sunak, he did a, a very good job with the creation of furlough scheme. Nobody even heard of furlough in well, two. exactly,
1: you know, the creation of the furlough scheme, that out of box thinking to, to, you know, think of a way of providing um, sort of stability in lives in such a tumultuous period of people's lives but then also to roll it out in such a successful manner in such a short time frame, mm-hmm. I think that's certainly something to be proud of. Yeah. If they were to reflect on that. Um, and then even things like, um, what was it, Eat Out to Help Out? And yeah, like that. very good idea. You know, things like that when consumers or people weren't able to go to the high streets or go eat out at restaurants and takeaways and whatnot, the fact that that quick thinking and immediate action and rollout of these initiatives and schemes essentially kept. The hospitality sector
0: alive It really did. as it is. Yeah, I mean, 100%. Rishi Sunak did a very good job. But mm-hmm. coming on to that, like, he didn't get, like, in terms of the Conservative uh, election, mm-hmm. Liz Truss winning, what was your initial reaction? Because for me, at least, I would have thought <coughs> Rishi Sunak was the one. For me, at least, he was talking the most sense. Mm-hmm. He was honest and straightforward. He's not going to be easy. And for me, at least, the initial reaction to election of Liz Truss, I was scared, and my fears have been kind of uh, proved, but I'm curious to see, what, what do you think? Are you a member of the Conservative Party, so do you have sure. a chance to vote?
1: Sure. Um, in terms of... Would you mind? Uh, it, yeah, no, no, absolutely. In terms of Liz and Liz, um, initially, I think to, to put to bed the scepticism for Liz Trash, you know, she, she was voted uh, overwhelmingly by members of the Conservative Party. People say it, na- it was narrower than it.
0: It looked narrower, it looked narrower.
1: People say that they thought it was narrower than it is, but the way I look at it, there was an overwhelming, you know, this wasn't slim margins, there was tens of thousands of votes between it, and the vast majority of Conservative voters made their judgment that they thought that Liz Truss was to be the best candidate for leader of the Conservative Party and then Prime Minister. Mm -hmm. Um, My thoughts on those running for the leadership, I think, there was a fantastic mm. sort of um, number of candidates, all of whom sort of espoused views and came from very different pockets and niches of the Conservative Party. Sort of the diversity element of it, the experience, the former cabinet members, ministers, and everyone coming through and wanting to throw their hat into the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, would I have gone for Rishi and Liz in my final two? Possibly not. I think it would have been nice to have a candidate that provided a fresh start, but obviously. The MPs that came down to deciding the final two thought that experience and the experience that Rishi and Liz gained from the COVID pandemics, the experience Liz had from being Foreign Secretary and Mm -hmm. sort of being able to communicate with other world leaders and whatnot, they must have thought that these two were the brightest and... Um, certainly the most competent and able to mm-hmm. carry on the, the, the role of Prime Minister of the country. Yeah. Um, I perhaps would have wanted you know, somebody on the slate that could have offered a fresh start or a clean uh, break from mm-hmm. the Boris Johnson Premiership. Yeah. But I think now that we have got Liz... Um,
0: She's pretty much clear of the old, what is it, Boris Johnson's well, exactly, cabinet, hasn't exactly,
1: she? Exactly. You know, Liz is, seems to be a strong-minded woman. She'll, she'll know what direction she wants to lead, lead this government in. That, she definitely um, has a
0: clear vision. <laughs>
1: and, and there we go. You know, she, she, she's made the cabinet uh, full of people that she thinks are capable of, of the role she's given them, and a vision that, you know, let's not be too quick about it. She's been in the job for less than a month. She has, uh, yeah. Of which a significant period of that was put on break because of the passing the of Her Majesty. So, let's not be too quick about it. I'm sure there's a vision, and we'll have to see over the next year. No doubt it'll be tough for everyone, but let 's see what what there is more to bring
0: I completely agree that she 's only been in a month she 's only been there for a month she, we can 't really give her an accurate we can 't give an accurate reflection of what she 's been able to do but you, you can 't say that what she has done has been pretty it 's been very impactful, probably in the most negative way possible
1: well what, what about it has been very impactful i 'd say saving people. Hundreds, if not thousands of pounds on their energy bills is not only impactful but very successful.
0: But, like, she uh, she did announce that, like, a, was it £2,500 that would be the cap? Yep. But then she backtracked on that and said it's not per household, it was like on average.
1: No, well, well I, I think she she probably, I think it was her misspeaking facts. So, so, the facts as I believe they are is the average household's energy bills will be £2,500, not the fact that everyone's energy bills are going to be capped at a maximum of 2,500 I think it was her just misspeaking, perhaps being misquoted that the average household, for, based on their you know, energy consumption, will be around 2,500 pounds uh, and then on top of that, things like reducing or um, decreasing national insurance um, but she
0: use... supported that. She supported that when she was in government, didn't she? Well, well,
1: that, well that's collective responsibility of the previous cabinet. You know, she wasn't mm-hmm. overseeing the country's finances in her previous post. She had to support it because of collective responsibility as a cabinet minister in the past. But now with her new vision of, you know, when people are really feeling the pinch in their pockets, you know, in this cost of living crisis t- t- due to exogenous factors out of our control due to what other countries are doing around the world, she is really trying to do her best to save people money from you know, reducing the amount of money we're paying for our energy to reducing national insurance contributions and um, removing, you know, the basic rate of tax from 20% to 19. So mm-hmm. a small cut, but I'm sure the average person certainly will appreciate that.
0: But she's also had to backtrack on a, a uh, an announced um, tax cut, which she did, annou- did say she was going to do in her election speech, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But do you think the timing was right to announce a, uh, a tax cut for the most, the richest of our society while the cost of living was really hurting the most, the common people? Well, yes. Yeah, so common so people, everyday people, sorry. Of
1: course, so I think, you know, the logic behind that was Liz likes to go on about her new agenda of growth, growth, growth. Mm-hmm. Um, the thought process behind that will have been the wealth creators, the um, sort of value, creators the energizers within the economy for them to succeed we need to minimize and really prioritize the incentives for them to go on and generate value and growth within the economy and one of those ways was to reduce the that rate of tax mm-hmm. was it the right decision it certainly was an ideological decision that liz thought liz and her chancellor thought was the right one mm-hmm. and it was rolled out possibly uh, it could have been done with more of a vision or more of a reasoning put to members of the public for why they wanted to introduce that policy. Mm -hmm. But I think um, it wasn't removed or um, taken away from that budget because of it being the wrong policy. I think it was because the media caught onto it, latched onto it, and all of the other reforms and changes to government policy were being neglected or not being looked at and evaluated simply because the media latched onto that one policy.
0: So the media res- creates a sort of mass hysteria. Do you think that, cr- like, kind of uh, artificially enhanced the the problem?
1: Oh uh, well, uh, well, not uh, the media artificially chooses what stories to pick up and what stories not to pick up. And I suppose that echo chamber about all the journalists talking about one issue on every single news station and radio station across the country. Possibly the prime minister and, her, you know, advisers thought, let's not, you know, lose track of the really positive changes in initiative, they brought in like the energy, energy, um, savings and the reduction in sort of the, the 20% tax rate and the removal or reduction in national insurance, mm-hmm. let's not lose factor fact of that because of one tiny small bullet point in the overall policy.
0: She's funding this, um, overall, what is it, the, 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 the energy cap through extra borrowing labor have said that they would fund this primarily through a windfall tax, and to be fair, there's already a windfall tax in place, Absolutely. but they would increase and put an additional windfall tax on onto these energy companies to help fund instead of ble- putting the burden on the taxpayer for years to come. And doesn't it, It's in the media at least, it's it's beginning to show that conservatives had that, that image of being very good on the economy, managing it very smoothly, ca- taking us out of a economic crash after 2008. But now it seems to have gone the other way hasn't it is could the conservatives still the well, party of economics do you well, think
1: when you say that sort of s- s- sane rational economic thinking certainly i would say is still on the side of the conservatives mm-hmm. you have labor members of the Shadow cabinet coming coming on to national television the news interviews talking about 170 billion pounds worth of profit and then completely getting muddled up with their figures and numbers, not knowing what they're talking about. (laughs) It probably shows their inability to look after finances or really know the detail Hmm. and spouting out numbers without really knowing what they mean.
0: I see. Hmm. No, that's a very that's a pretty good reply can't lie like, <laughs> They have been stumbling and what is it, I saw I think in the BBC they were talking about that the 170 billion pound um, extra profit they had on was talking about worldwide figures not just in the UK
1: Exactly and what are you, are you going to ta- tax what the profits made on oil and gas in Malaysia mm-hmm. Because you know quite possibly how, how, how is that going to happen you can't throw out numbers of worldwide profits and then say we should tax those worldwide profits when there is absolutely no way we'd be able to do that
0: but i'm pretty sure still in the uk they're making pretty big profits aren't they
1: well I, i'm sure they are but they're also making huge losses when oil went into negative figures during the pandemic
0: yeah, but now it's at the no, highest no, no, point no, no, ever isn't it no,
1: no, no. so by that logic surely members of the conservative of, of the labor party or labor politicians or those on the left should have said we should have bailed out the oil companies
0: but uh, do they believe in <laughs> in bailing out big corporations? We don't really know. With no, you, with Star.
1: you can't say oh, we need to tax them extra uh, when when their the, their funds and their pockets are already deep. But then when they're going through a car- crisis, say no help from us. <laughs> Off you go without any life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Off you go. To be fair. Um, it's a very complicated issue. I don't think it's as black and white as Labour is uh, talking, especially the media as well. But I do think there are there is def- definite big room for improvement from the Conservatives. But it's a bit of a national emergency, so we need to well, give yeah. it we give it a bit more time. I think
1: exactly. There are policies being announced and actively. I'm sure members of the government are looking into new initiatives that they can allow. But you know, one thing I'd really say is the trust has been in for less than or around a month let's give
0: it more time more time i just hope the pound recovers well,
1: it's <laughs> it recovering it is,
0: over. <laughs> it is. um uh, um what do you think of do you think liz Truss is trying to act as a kind of u- uniting figure for the conservative party or in terms of her cabinet appointments it seems to be appointing from what is it suela braverman she ran for leadership she's now home secretary do you think it's kind of united, kind of trying to unite the party, or is it going a bit more radical with Jacob Rees-Mogg? Still, can't lie, I'm not a fan of Jacob Rees-Mogg. He's he's a bit he's a bit old for me. Yeah, well, he's well, a bit out of time, out of touch, I would say.
1: Well, Jacob's done a fantastic job in building a brand, brand
0: <laughs> yes you know, i uh, think so
1: <laughs> he's probably
0: his round glasses his suits and yeah, every the way he speaks is very victorian yeah
1: the glasses the double-brusted suits that that's <laughs> obviously something that, that jacob has chosen to run with um but that being said I'm, he is a very astute politician he knows the detail in things mm-hmm. and you know the glasses and the brush suit do not mean that he his policies and his vision for the country aren't that of the 21st century and aren't capable of dealing I certainly have faith in um, Jacob Rees-Mogg as, you know, business secretary being able to come up with initiatives and solutions to the sort of the problems that we're going through at the minute.
0: As he, yeah, as you said, he was appointed um, energy secretary.
1: Yeah, so business, energy, industrial strategy.
0: That His views on climate change are a bit dodgy, can't lie. They're a bit, like, a bit obscure, a bit obscure. He hasn't properly denied um, the existence of uh, emissions, like climate change and all that. But he hasn't specifically supported it. And uh, does the op- reopening of fracking facilities and stuff like that, does that go against their commitment to go uh, net zero by 2050?
1: I don't think it probably goes against their commitment. I, I will not say that at all. I think it reaffirms the fact that this government is committed to ensuring that there is an element of energy sovereignty within the country that we're able to produce our own energy supply, able to use our energy supply, without being affected by external shocks mm-hmm. to the price of energy, you know, and the government's done, fanta- oh, the, you know, continuous governments over m- many years have done a fantastic job in championing renewable energies, nuclear energy, wind farms, solar, solar production. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Shouldn't they be investing fracking, into that?
1: Well, yeah, and, and, and fracking is just another bit to the arsenal, you know we can't solely rely on one thing. You can't solely rely on gas because then there might if be... If mm-hmm. that fails. You can't solely rely on wind or solar because, um, you know, you'd want to have a diverse pool of energy sources for you to be able to draw from. And certainly, I think there is... They may, they may have revoked the moratorium on fracking, but the government is still committed to going out, you know, ensuring that renewable energy... And renewable investments are at the
0: forefront of it, Their policies, because the I, I read, I don't know if this is verified, but I saw a report that the frac, the reopening of fracking facility, is going to take at least six months. So it doesn't really solve the problem in the well, short term.
1: Well, exactly, but it, but this is sort of a longer term. A longer
0: mission. term. Yeah. But isn't a longer, longer term strategy to v- invest even more? There should be an, ex- in my opinion, at least there should be an explosion <coughs> of investment to new offshore, onshore wind farms, <coughs> solar panels, making it cheaper because the the price of solar panels have already gone down, maybe seventy percent over exactly, the last decade.
1: The more decade. you invest in these technologies, the more research goes into these technologies, the more accessible they are, the more cheaper they are, the more efficient mm-hmm. and productive they are as energy sources. Um, like I say, it's all about developing that arsenal of yeah. energy sources to draw up
0: Is there anything you would do different? If you were in charge of number 10 right now, yeah. is there anything you would be do differently to what the government has already
1: done? Um, I would... I don't think there's anything I would do differently. I think the government's got its priorities right. Um, certainly the fact that Therese Coffey, the Secretary of State of uh, Health. For Health and Social mm-hmm. Care, being appointed Deputy Prime Minister is a clear sign that this government and Liz Truss is committed to ensuring that the NHS gets the priority and the um, attention it requires.
0: Why does the appointment of uh, the... Uh, I can't... What was the name again? Therese Coffey. Why does... Uh, why is the, the appointment of her... De, uh, Determined that she's the this this is a signifier that they're committed to the NHS. Well,
1: just the fact that I, I don't think in the past um, we've had you know the previous Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab was the Justice Secretary. Mm-hmm. The fact that this Deputy this new Deputy Prime Minister is the Secretary of State for Oh, they're placing okay, yeah, they, they, they really are putting the role right. at the forefront exactly. They're, they're, they're promoting Therese mm-hmm. Coffey to not only be Deputy Prime Minister but make sure that. The views and the priorities of the NHS mm-hmm. and our social care system are heard at the cabinet table and heard in number ten.
2: Hmm.
0: You know. Um. What is it? Are you, are you, Im- are you? Do you approve or are you? Are you impressed of the performance of successive conservative part uh, governments for the past twelve years? Because they've been power for twelve years now. Well,
1: yes. Um. They 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 must have been successful if they've continued to win general elections. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, or is perhaps. that that Labour hasn't provided a, a suitable candidate? I mean, it could be both. It could be both ways, to be fair.
1: Well, I, I, I'd like to think our, our democracies run on me- the electorate members throughout the, or people throughout the country being able to look at policies and decide on policies, not, be able to, not deciding which way their vote goes based on personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that is the case, then uh, it shows that the policies of the Conservative Party over the past... 10-12 years really have resonated with people and they've seen the Conservatives as that stable um, stable vision, stable process to lead the country forward.
0: The NHS is a bit of a crisis now, isn't it? A uh, little as bit.
1: somebody who is looking forward to working in the NHS in oh, yes. a years' time, um, I think the, the NHS is going through certainly a rough patch. Um, there are ongoing pressures, the fact that medicine has evolved to the point so far, that drugs, therapeutics, therapies are becoming so much more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, the pop- population is aging, like yes. all first world countries. Yeah, population is aging. So many people have more than one medical condition. Lots of people are turning up to hospital with multiple co- comorbidities, mm-hmm. and they're getting far more difficult, far more complex to treat them. Mm-hmm. It just means that the NHS needs to develop and needs investment to allow for it to be the world class service it is
0: have in you? 2022. As you're a medical student, you're in your last year, have you been able to go to some of the NHS hospitals around the area and do some like pla- placements a- or something, a- or, or is that so. later on? No,
1: no, absolutely so. I've spent a lot of time in various different hospitals, various different NHS trusts. Mm-hmm. You, you, you certainly see the fantastic work that doctors, nurses, all healthcare professionals do at the front lines of the NHS. I suppose that's, that, that has to be lauded and applauded. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are working day in, day out, trying to provide and are providing the very best they are capable of doing so. Um, and hopefully, with the government really prioritising and ensuring or looking for reform within the NHS, that is something that, that we can see sort of a real change in the NHS and it's, you know, removing the backlog, removing the waiting time, thing like that, things like that, really are prioritised and mm-hmm. sort of the NHS is streamlined and, you know, people are seen far more quickly than they currently are being seen.
2: I mean, the
0: NHS... I'm so thankful to the NHS, even though it's, if it's a bit of a crisis, people are, the backlog is ridiculously long. And that's on nobody to be fair. Nobody, we had there was a need to lock down the backlog had to happen. But I think the backlog can has already um, like exacerbated the issues that they, the NHS already had before the pandemic, the lack of, I think a more smooth organisational structure is something they lack extremely and the bureaucracy in it?
1: Absolutely, I agree with you 100%. I think the NHS is a fantastic organisation and an institution that should be um, protected in this country. And it's a shame that so much money is put into the NHS with uh, not maximal output. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think one of of the reasons that is causing that is... The amount of mismanagement within NHS trusts or NHS bureaucracy, Uh uh, that means that masses, billions and billions of pounds worth of funds and resources are being put to the NHS to then be wasted away by middle management, rather than it being spent on doctors and nurses on the front line. Helping patients, increasing bed capacity, increasing the number of hospitals we have.
0: New technology, improving t- t- access yeah, around. Exactly, yeah. exactly, diagnostic exactly. hubs is probably one of the exactly. best ideas I've services,
1: heard. Diagnostic hubs, you know, being able to invest in increasing capacity and world-leading new technology and really getting that accessible to patients within the NHS is being hampered by billions, tens of billions being wasted on middle management managers in the NHS really. And I think that really needs to be looked at.
0: You've had, the Conservatives have had 12 years. Mm-hmm. Do you think the NHS's situation has improved over the last 12 years? Or has it pretty much kind of stayed the same? We've, we've had, was it Jeremy Hunt was the longest serving yes. um, Health Secretary for maybe eight years or so before yes. going to for, Foreign Secretary with Theresa May? Mm-hmm. So we oversaw a lot of what the NHS was, was going through. We knew firsthand what was, what's, what was happening. Mm-hmm. Do you think anything has changed? Uh, because what, we had a, a, a stint of austerity, well, which, was, which did hamper a lot and probably improve, yeah, exacerbate some of the issues we had today.
1: Yeah. Well, we need to look back on the reasons for why austerity was brought in. It was after the financial crisis. Mm-hmm. The government was spending far more than it was bringing in. The national debt was increasing and soaring to levels never seen before. Uh, there was elements of austerity that were certainly needed to bounce the bucks again, and that's what people voted for. Fiscal responsibility, uh, not increasing national debt to levels where... Our children, grandchildren, children's children are going to have to deal with the errors of those before them. Mm-hmm. Um, Whether the state of the NHS, I think the NHS is a fine institution. People have been working very hard for it.
0: They have and they continue to be working hard for it. And I mean, what do you what do you it's a very difficult situation because after the pandemic, the debt is up to 100 percent now. 100 percent of GDP
2: mm-hmm.
0: is another stint of austerity needed or do you think that's something Liz Truss is gonna do or is it just gonna be more more borrowing, hard choices are gonna be made in well, terms of cutting I think or
1: you see what Liz Truss has in her plan. Uh, but certainly if you're prioritizing things like growth and increasing growth within the economy, increasing the size of the pie as they like to say, mm-hmm. I think that it's only reasonable to assume that there's going to be investment within the economy, investment in the public sector, investment in the private sector investment into new technologies new sectors for the country to go into um mm-hmm. and and there may be cuts here and there but certainly for a growth agenda you need uh, money being put in and i'm sure the government is committed to that
0: because uh was it the phrase um, european singapore or something the thames on singapore S- uh, singapore, singapore on Thames. yeah singapore on thames was a a, th- a big thing they they advocated for as a result of the brexit campaign yeah. and I,
1: well, Singapore in terms is what a low tax economy, high, low tax, high growth economy. Doesn't anyone, doesn't everyone want that? Everybody does everyone want that. Yeah. pie everyone gets more of the pie, and everyone gets to keep more of what they work hard to earn.
0: That is. It sounds
1: it, like a pretty good world to live
0: Singapore in. Singapore is an amazing country. I, I, I loved visiting it. It was oh, yeah. an amazingly efficient country. But I don't know how. No,
1: but who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want the the size of our economy to grow so people have more money? And more money in their pockets, and then with that money in their pockets, they're paying less in tax. And what they are paying in tax is being used and being spent in a rational and reasonable way mm-hmm. to maximize taxpayers' money uh, and not being frivoled away elsewhere. So we're, ma- we're giving people more money uh, because of the size of the economy is growing, they're getting to keep more of that money because their tax burden is lower. Seems like a win win on both fronts.
0: It does seem like a win win, but then. Government needs to be efficient <laughs> in allocating. I think that's our whole issue. Singapore is a very different political economy because they they've had the same government for, what is it? I think since, since they've been uh, created yeah. a country, they've had it for like 70 years. Yeah. So it's, they've been able to maintain a sense of stability yeah. and invest and create long-term kind of plans. But in terms of, uh, you said about uh, maximizing the taxpayers kind of investment, don't you think the result, the, the recent strikes and I think the strikes a few days ago as well. I think yes, in right. terms right. of the transportation, yeah. don't you think trans- some elements of the transportation system should come back into public ownership and be run by kind of a central um, kind of transportation city railway system? Because w- was it was in Switzerland, a very, a very what is it? Liberal, very free con- uh, economic country. Their railways owned by the federal government. It's probably one of the most efficient railway systems I've ever. Mm-hmm been, been lucky to be on. No delays. If there's a delay, they tell you maybe tw- half an hour in advance. I'm like, fair enough. They give me an alert on the app. Maybe that's not, a, it's not saying that this, w- well, uh, well, all sizes, all strategies work for all.
1: Exactly. You know,
0: but it clearly doesn't work now.
1: Yeah, well, well, Switzerland's a very different country, you know, you can't just copy and paste what one country's doing. Yes. Elsewhere. Oh, definitely. I, I, I think it's quite funny how these things always go in a cycle, you know. We had a national rail service And then people were complaining about um, no investment, uh, you know, delayed trains, poor quality of trains and people not happy with the service. You privatise it, massive amounts of investments go in, people are happy, you know, trains are running on time, you have more trains, people are happy and then eventually people aren't so happy and there are calls for for nationalisation and then that happens and then people aren't too happy with nationalisation and then we go back to privatisation. Like many things, I think these things go around in cycles and circles. Do I think we need an element of nationalisation? not necessarily I think we probably do need more regulation. I think it's
0: in terms of any well, specifics I, I, do you I have
1: think not necessarily just transportation, even if it's things like the water supply. I think it's a real shame that so many of these private organizations can go in without being challenged about their the way they operate or the amount of mm-hmm. hindrance they cause to their consumers and their uh, to their to the consumers and to the average person yeah i I think the privatization we have in in the rail services it's more is more than capable of getting the job done. Mm -hmm. What we probably do need is for rail firms to be regulating the fact that people need to be able to put them and ask them why are certain investments not being made, why aren't there Hold them accountable. Yeah, exactly. Hold them accountable and really find out why things are happening, why there are delays, why there aren't improvements to the rail service, things like that. So Mm -hmm. privatization is a good thing, we just need to make sure it's kept in check.
0: Kept in check. Because uh, one of the ideas, I'm surprised the UK doesn't have in terms of transportation. Again, going back to Switzerland, there, uh, there's a thing called, uh, I think, I can't remember the name. But it's like a you pay a, a certain amount a month and you get unlimited travel yeah. all across the country and all sorts of services. Yeah. And it's really improved. And our... And our commitment to net zero, this probably will help a lot. If we all have, us, we can pay us like 400 pounds a month. I don't know. Unlimited travel, help encourage people to go towards public transportation. And hopefully that will bring investment. People more willing to use transportation because there'll be more investment, less delays, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So isn't that something a lot, a... It's not taking away from privatisation, but making sure people are encouraged. Quite
1: possibly. Yeah. I'm sure you know, different transport secretaries have, have thought of different initiatives to bring about. I know Grant Chaps, the former transport...
0: I quite liked Grant Chaps. Yeah. He was a very Grand, good communicator.
1: Already, yeah, he you know, seemed like quite a good guy and seemed like very good on the messaging. that you know, He wanted to bring and update the transport service. I think he, he brought in an idea where rail, rail fares were slashed massively, mm-hmm. providing consumers great savings. And that did, you know, prove to be an uptick in rail, you know, the number of people commuting on our railways. Yeah. So I'm sure there are, there are lots of ideas that people are wanting to run
0: with. Yeah, no, definitely. All right, a bit of a different question. How do you think the country should move forward from your perspective? Are you hopeful? Because we're pretty, if, if we're a bit of a dire situation at the moment. Are you hopeful for the future? Because the Conservatives in the polls at least, I know polls mean nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But they're not looking good for the next general election. But are you hopeful... Do you want, I mean, I was, I'm was. i assuming you want another conservative party, a, a conservative government in charge?
1: Well, well hopefully, because if someone <laughs> was on my TV every single morning, I'd probably not be able to get on, you know, and, and get on with life because I'd just be bored to death and want to go back to bed. You're not a
0: fan of Keir Starmer then? I mean, you said he was boring, but yeah, is there well. anything policy-wise you're against him or...?
1: I, if I knew any of his policies. Maybe, 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 <laughs> maybe if it wasn't
0: so boring. <laughs> maybe that's something Keir needs to work on, not being yeah. boring and actually coming up with some of his own policies. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but
1: otherwise, no, I am hopeful. Uh, I think the general election being two years away, it's a long way away. Mm-hmm. We need to give trust the time to go out and really provide her vision for the country <laughs> and make sure that people are on board with that vision. And when people do hear that vision, by Liz, by Kwasi Kwarteng as Chancellor, I think people will be on board with that. You think? And the polls at the minute, I think there there's a shock reaction to whatever's happening, but I think the polls will change, and over the next few months, over the next year, 18 months, you'll you'll see the polls change drastically. I'm pretty sure about it.
0: We had the same, and the same arguments are being were play uh, were given against Theresa May when she was elected as the uh, the leader and that she has no legitimacy and, s as Boris Johnson, no legitimacy, no justification for being in charge. Isn't the the argument for the more democratic uh, responder accountability is to have a general election?
1: Well, I, I can certainly see the argument for it, but we also need to respect how the transition of power in this country, you know, mm. the fact that the Conservatives were voted in at the last general election, we need to respect that. And if that means the Conservatives have chosen a new leader for their, for their party, shouldn't undermine the fact that people went to the mm-hmm. general election on the Conservative manifesto. And if the Conservative and if if Liz Truss is sticking with some of those manifesto pledges, she should be allowed to run forward with that, uh with the vote and that mandate that, w- that was provided after the 2019 general
0: election. Yeah, I think that argument is, as you said, it's... It's not how the UK politics works. We're not a presidential okay. kind of um, system, so it's not really a logical mm. kind of argument to say, "Yo, you didn't get voted in, you gotta go." But we're not voting for a prime minister here. Exactly. <laughs>
1: we're not voting for a prime minister. We're voting for a party and their
0: policies. Mm-hmm, exactly. So I think yeah, that that argument is a bit silly. But I, I thought oh. I I would throw it to you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, so you've just have you just been re- like elected as the the president of the Conservative yes, Society?
1: So- Elected in elections what last year? So. Last year, okay. So you've so been for this ac- upcoming academic year, correct? Yeah.
0: What um what what is yeah, what is the party? What, what do you have planned for the party? Is it more like events with the was it local MP Chloe Smith?
1: Yeah. So, so we do as as a society we do lots of events, um, both political and non-political. We do all sorts of socials. We had a fantastic social a couple of weeks ago, um, where you know we invited lots of people to the to the. SU bar on campus Mm -hmm. and had uh, members of the committee, older years, sort of meet the new freshers, engage with them, have a nice chat, see what the society is all about. So we do things like that. We do socials where we go out into the city, bowling socials and whatnot. We have a couple of balls where we, you know, really Mm -hmm. do uh, dress up and have a lovely evening. And then we also do bits and pieces with campaigning. We've built up fantastic relations with local members of parliament, Mm -hmm. whether that's Chloe Smith, in Norwich North, Brandon Lewis in Great Yarmouth, mm-hmm. Geraint Mayhew in Broadland, you know, fantastic relationships with our local Members of Parliament. And um, we're very grateful for them sort of really trying to reach out to students and engage with students, give time to students, whether it's internships, advice, political knowledge, mm-hmm. and also sort of go out and campaign with them and see what it is like to be a member of the Conservative Party, be an activist and possibly get an insight into what being, in, being, you know, a life in politics
0: is like. Well. Can't lie. I will be getting in touch with you about Chloe Smith. I want, like, a political in- internship well, with one of the well, MPs, you know. we can Don't, yeah. don't, don't
1: worry. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've got email addresses and
0: I'm trying Oh, to go to oh you got the connections I like. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean... Because initially, um, back probably a few months ago, I was trying to get an internship with. Uh, I used to live in like Eastbourne, like around okay. Brighton area. So I, uh, I, her name is Caroline. I, uh, Caroline Lucas, the
1: Green MP.
0: No, no, uh, she was a Conservative. Oh, let me get her name up. Oh, I can't remember, but she was the local MP for Eastbourne. Yep. Sent her a couple of emails about potential internships. It just didn't work out yeah. timings wise. So it would be, yeah, if any sort of opportunity would be great. Sure. We, we'll talk after after the show. You know? But yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Caroline Ansel.
0: That's, there we go. Caroline. Sorry, I forgot your name. <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> no,
1: no, I'm mean, to have a chat you We, know, to find out a bit more about your politics. We don't, we don't want you to be an agent of the, the Labour lot, if that's who you were uh, in to last week.
0: I mean, yeah, I voted I voted for Boris in 2019. I don't know if I would vote Conservative again, but again, it's two years until the next general election, so we'll have to see.
1: But no, as somebody, as somebody who's done an internship with uh, a Member of Parliament, working in the constituency offices is really insightful into the day-to-day role of... So what did you end up doing? So, so I worked in the constituency office mm-hmm. uh, for a member of parliament and, it, and it, it was really insightful because I got to know some of the main issues and concerns that residents in the local area had, you know, the real wide spectrum of issues that people were, you know, people were contacting their MP about, what mm-hmm. their MP could and couldn't do how their MP interacted with residents, how how the MP interacted with other organizations, agencies, private businesses to mm-hmm. get relief, get help, provide assistance to constituents, but also, you know, the life of an MP in Westminster and things like that. Yeah, g- genuinely very, very, very insightful. Really,
0: wow. Yeah, uh, what is it, I've always wanted, I've never, have you been to parliament before? Yeah. Like, have you been at, like on a tour or with yeah, yeah, the, the, the yeah, MP? Well,
1: don't worry. We are trying to try and sort out a, a, a visit to to Westminster. System. Really? Oh. Uh, to the UEA Conservatives, and you might you know, you know you might be welcome to our. Um, I, tour of Westminster.
0: Hey, I mean, I, I'm following your Instagram, so it's a start. You know, it's because okay. I think you. I saw on your Instagram it's going to be like a, a pizza a pizza party or something. It was yeah. So,
1: so that's, what that's what we have in a couple of a couple of weeks. That was our first freshers. Okay. Say so a free pizza social. Come come. You know, join us for some free pizza. Mm-hmm. Have some drinks. See what
0: the rest of the society, what the vibe is like oh that's that's great honestly there I mean we it's we're just past our booking time and there's been a bit vi- just at the start you probably won't you won't know this but there was a bit of an issue with the mics so it took us a while to set up all the mics and stuff so I th- we've just gone through our time um so thank you so much for coming on the podcast not to worry you know. I, hope I, did, I hope I didn't grill you too much no, it was no, kind of like think, you, you know, defend the, the conservatives no, no it was <laughs> a good
1: conversation and towards the end of it I feel like we we came to a happy ending I uh, think like so you, you've come out as somebody who voted for Boris and somebody who wants an internship with a conservative MP I've yes seems like a happy resolution for both of us I
0: think so and I th- honestly civil dialogue I'm probably going to try and get the, the Marxist side on maybe next week okay. and that that, that was, uh, that's going to be interesting yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> maybe a on. Maybe that's I mean, if
0: you guys are if you guys are willing, I mean, yeah, we can sort something out. Why not
1: try?
0: I know a couple of people from the Marxists, so <laughs> I don't know. I mean, civil dialogue is obviously the what we want. Yeah, no, definitely. But you're more than welcome to come back on. Um, yeah, we'll try. Maybe we'll try and organise that sort of interview slash dialogue or whatever that will turn into shouting match. Who knows? <laughs> you're more than welcome. <laughs> so yeah. um... Thanks for listening. And if you guys have any more um,
2: ideas of what we should talk about with some future guests, so let's know.
0: But thank you so much for coming on.